accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. We're going to be continuing our DS9 coverage. We're up to episode 16 of the first season. It's called If Wishes Were Horses. It was directed by Robert Legato. Story credits goes to Neil McHugh Crawford and William L. Crawford. Teleplay goes to the Crawford brothers, I assume, and Michael Piller. Aired back on May 16, 1993. In this episode, people's personal thoughts and fantasies begin to manifest right before their eyes. We're joined by Modi. Modi, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Good. It's been a little while. Um, what was the last it episode you, you did? Battle Lines, right? <laughs> Which we yeah, both... yeah. And that was that was a good one, actually. Yeah, we both kind of liked that one. Um, and now we're up to If Wishes Were Horses. Hot off the um, the positive side of progress. We had a, a good a good DS9 episode called Progress where Bajor was involved and Kira learns everything and everyone has to make a little bit of sacrifices, a little bit of emotion. And then we get to If Wishes Were Horses. Um <laughs> So we will, yeah, yeah we'll start. The, uh, we'll, <laughs> were you, um, are you very intimately familiar with the story of Rumpelstiltskin? I know you have kids. I don't know if you read I mean, them, Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah. I am now, for right. sure. <laughs> yeah. I, forgot, um, I forgot how twisted the story of Rumpelstiltskin is. I don't think it's a Grimm Brothers uh, fairy tale, but it's pretty. It, it could be. It's dark, though. It is dark, yeah. yeah. Spinning gold to... Um, now I can't remember why I can't remember why you why you hire him in the first place. Then you, needed... you you hire him to spin straw into gold because you made a promise that you can't keep, basically that you told okay. you told him that you, you could do it and you can't. You and then he takes you can do it. He takes your firstborn as payment, right? That's the uh, the yeah, thing. Basically. Yeah, basically, he doesn't take anything initially, and then he comes back to your firstborn later. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right, so. Me and Modi are going to come back after we play an audio clip, and we're going to break down If Wishes Were Horses. Ah, good. It seems we have a small mystery on our hands. Lieutenant Jadzia Dax and Dr. Julian Bashir, I'd like you to meet Harmon Bokai, a baseball player from the London Kings who's been dead for 200 years. Don't look at me. I can't figure it out either. And a medieval fairy tale character named Rumpelstiltskin. Oh, fine. Now everyone knows my name. Until today, he only existed in storybooks. A uh, pleasure, I'm, I'm sure. All right, here we go. We're back with If Wishes Were Horses, another episode of DS9, um, which is, you know, I. now that we've been watching Discovery and everything regularly and we made, <laughs> we made it through TNG and we're going through Deep Space Nine, um, I think that the... The, we've all we've been bitching about the first season of DS9 being basically just too much of TNG, um, like a rewarmed TNG version, and I think it's none more apparent than it is in this episode where this is yeah this, this feels like a Q episode almost. It does feel like a Q. I mean, it's it's an idea that we've seen before, right? There was the um, imaginary yeah. friend in TNG. We saw Shore leave uh, on TOS, and there's one other one that imaginary friend surely even there's something else too where the imaginations of people cause things to appear in front of them it's mm-hmm. not it's not an entirely original idea here and i think that the episode is just not very good because it doesn't do anything with deep space nine's attachment to it like there there is nothing about this episode that really sets itself apart as a new series of um television and i think that coming off of discovery and everything i think this is a it's a real weakness of 
DS9 at this point that the show is not really standing on its own two feet at this uh, at this sort of critical juncture here. And we get these boring episodes, especially hot off the heels of progress, which was really good. And it was kind of like a duet warm up for what's coming. But I don't know. What would you think of it if wishes were horses? Oh, boy. Yeah. I mean, comparing this, I had just watched the the the, the uh, midseason finale of uh, Discovery right before I watched this. And it's just such a clear difference between the two types of show they are. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. This doesn't this doesn't need to be. Like you say, there's nothing about this that makes it a DS9 episode. It doesn't need to be. It could have been easily set on the Enterprise and not been a problem. Uh, it it just kind of a recycled thing. It just doesn't, and it's goofy as hell. It is. It is goofy. I mean, I think that the, you know, I I think it depends kind of on your state of mind what you think about this one, right? So the basic idea is that these aliens come in and they can inhabit people's imaginations and they can bring to life whatever those people imagine. So in the case of the show, we have um, Bashir gets a horny version of Dax who appears on the, <laughs> which is, on the station. Which is pretty hilarious, actually. I, yeah. I enjoyed his reactions in this, in this episode a lot, actually. He kind of makes the episode for me for that part. Yeah, it's not really. But, it's, it's not an episode without positives, which I guess we'll get yeah. to. So you have Horny Bashir, you have Rumpelstiltskin, and you have Buck Bokai, who is a a fake <laughs> baseball player who we need to uh, discuss. the last the last great baseball player when they they explain that there's like only like ten people left at the World Series when they is like the season before they ended Major League Baseball apparently. Right, which is you know with dwindling numbers like that, you can understand why a five foot three. 200 pound Asian man would be the greatest baseball player. But apparently he's the greatest, but apparently he's the greatest of all time is what, according to, to Cisco. Um, yeah, he, so that's he crushed uh, DiMaggio's consecutive streak, I think uh, his hit streak or yeah. something like that. So I, we'll get to him, but um, the, you know, it's revealed that these are aliens who are doing this. And then there's a, a key word here. Subspace anomaly is going on in the distance and the station's under threats. And then they solve that. They solve everything. They figure out that everything was part of their imaginations uh, the aliens leave and such and such a thing is done. So I think that my your patience for this episode might be dependent on the situation that you're watching it in. Like I up until recently, after making it through all of TNG and stuff, I was fairly content with the subspace anomaly storylines. Like TNG is full of subspace anomaly storylines where something goes on uh, like that. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of them are better than this episode. But now I'm kind of at a point where I've had my fill of subspace anomaly Star Trek episodes that are like this. Like this is this is not good enough to hold my attention in that way. And it, it feels this script to me feels like an idea if you were hired to write a Star Trek episode and you didn't have a good idea and the script was due tomorrow. Like that that's the kind of yeah. episode that you would come up with here. And um, this is a spec script for a. Uh... Somebody, some some fan wrote this script as a as a test, basically, and they right. didn't know they anything didn't, about the overall arc. It. They just knew the characters a little bit, so they just wrote this thing that feels feels like a Star Trek episode would be. And I don't know, I don't know. It's just weird. So I mean, what did you? You sound pr- fairly negative on it. Um, do, do you, what's the best way to go about this? <sighs> Should we just break down each of the plot characteristics? So we can start with the. Like, what do you think the best of the the fantasy character storylines? So you have Rumpelstiltskin, Horny Dax, and Buck Bokai. Okay. So, yeah, starting with the strongest one, I guess would be Horny Dax is the most interesting one of them all. Because that I at least so has too. some social weight to it. 
and actually has some kind of like just humiliation of seeing your imagination exposed kind of thing in, in Bashir, which is, is he plays it. He plays it perfectly. Um, yeah. He's, yeah. he's semi ashamed of it and, and embarrassed by it. And she is, and you know, the real Dax is forgiving of it to a degree. And then also, but sometimes somewhat like taken aback by it too, or she's kind of like, you want me to be like that? Like that, right, that scene yeah. was this great. I think there is a lot of strength in that plot line for whatever reason. It was entertaining to watch at least. Yeah, I mean, that one is good just because it is it ties into the story of the show, right? It's not like a completely made up yes. storyline like this actually has it tells a... you something about the characters for once like this. Right. Like, I mean, I guess the other little bit with the uh, the Cisco and his son story, maybe a little bit, but this one definitely sort tells of, a lot yeah, more about the characters. Yeah. yeah, I and I think that the yeah, the Buck Bokai one kind of does. It's more important going forward, um, but the. The Dax one works well. They actually don't even push it as far as I think that they could. Like it, it mm-hmm. has potential to be a really dark idea because it's absolutely terrifying that if you were at work and your sort of sexual fantasy was coming about like in front of your coworkers, yeah. it's um it's a toned down yeah. G-rated Star Trek universe, so it's not that bad. But I thought it was actually um Terry Farrell's best acting performance in a lot of ways. She She's clearly the kind of actress that would be raised and given roles like that, right? You know, mm-hmm. the, the sort of right. sexy seductress. And it works because I think we've discussed in the past how the um the current, the real Dax character is actually kind of a miscasting for her, in my opinion. They don't do a lot with her, and it doesn't feel right most of the time. Um, Actually, this, this the real Dax in this one felt a little bit better than usual for whatever reason. Maybe I just haven't watched the show enough lately. Like, I feel like they gave her enough smart stuff to do, but yeah. I don't know. It, it, yeah. it, 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 they did try a little bit harder to make her seem, I guess before they made her seem more alien is the thing that they did. They more had more of like a data kind of situation where she was trying to understand what being, being who she is now. And now it just felt like she was just more comfortable being a woman, being, being in her role and the new life she has, uh, as Jaxia deck and, it, it it doesn't have those like you know uh, fish out of water kind of things like it used to anymore. Right. Um, she she's just comfortable the, um, being herself. She has the the line where she has the dinner with Bashir and she comes in and Cisco says, "How is the doctor?" and she says she pauses for a minute and says, "Young." Like that's and the, that was cool. That's a thoughtful line. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's that's the kind of Dax characterization that I think should work in her situation. But I think that the the actress pairing isn't really great, and I think that the the doubling of Dax here actually allows her to show off a little bit of range, and it might just be that she's not as bad of an actress as it's just the Dax character is not particularly yeah. right for her at this point. Um, after that, we have uh, O'Brien and Rumpelstiltskin, which was actually <laughs> funny because it was originally written to be a leprechaun, and and Colmini complained vehemently, oh, saying that it was offensive to Irish people if there was a leprechaun. Yeah, no, that would be terribly offensive, I think, yeah. <laughs> I, which, which is funny to me because I actually... I, I Maybe I think highly of Irish people. I, I would think that Irish people wouldn't be offended, although I don't... I don't really... I don't really stereotype Irish people with leprechauns. I think is a weird thing. Like I, I don't. I well, don't, that's yeah. Do you I mean, do you do you feel this? Like I don't. If I see an Irish person, I don't go look at that leprechaun over there. Which I no, think you is, don't. It's not that. It's I don't know. It's it's like an outsider's thought of what they think Irish people think about maybe or something like that. Like it's it's like oh they're reading a story about leprechaun because he's Irish. Um, it just it would just seem too weird. 
I think, sure. I mean, I know more about like the Irish folklore and that kind of thing. They are into fairies and that kind of thing. Leprechauns aren't as big of a thing though. It's all, it's all fairies and that kind of thing generally, which I mean, guess well, that I, leprechauns are a form of that, but. I will say that when we went uh, recently over to Britain, we stopped over in Dublin. Uh, we had to change okay. flights and when we got into the off the plane in Dublin and we went to our transfer, uh, you know, you walk through the airports and it's all just like shit for sale. You walk past like all the kiosks and everything. The um, we had to go. The baby had shit himself. So we needed to buy new baby clothes for him. And so we went into the kids store and every bit of child clothing was leprechaun themed. So I did. Oh, my God. <laughs> but that's an air. That's like an airport, like kind of like touristy stop kind of trap where they expect you You go to you go to Ireland because they, they're selling the stuff that tourists expect to buy there. So it's more of a tourist tourist interpretation of what Ireland is, is all the leprechaun stuff like like it's like it's like the St. Patrick's Day parade here. And if you took that to understand, oh, this is what Irish people must be like kind of thing. That's that's the kind of offensive it is because it's not like they don't have pride and they don't have. They don't it's not like they don't drink and it's not like they don't have leprechauns and that kind of thing but it's it's that hyper realism of st patrick's day kind of thing where everyone's irish and and they get wasted and whatever it's it's that interpretation of it i think is what you're experiencing at the gift shop there i will i will judge their entire society by what i see in there as a <laughs> airport. but anyway getting back to so colmy was, was upset about being a, a leprechaun in this so they they had, apparently it caused a big rewrite because they had to figure out some sort of storyline that would work. And Rumpelstiltskin actually works pretty well. If you were to tell me this was the original idea, I would have, I would have believed you. Um, he's played by the guy who plays the uh, the the little person in um, Twin Peaks, the original Twin yes. Peaks. Yeah, um, yep. and I I find I find the Rumpelstiltskin one to be the worst one of these stories. Would you Would you agree? It is, and I, I feel like the Rumpelstiltskin character isn't great here either. No, he's I don't know why does he speak with like a expected. Brooklyn accent? That's what I said. The, the accent was what was bothering me. I hear Rumpelstiltskin, I expect like British for whatever yes. reason. I don't know what it is, old-timey, but I just expect yeah. it. And having him be, he's, it's it's the little man doing his normal, like kind of little man voice, basically. It's just his normal voice. He doesn't even put on any kind of accent or anything. It just... He's just no, a regular right. guy. <laughs> this American, American he, Rumpelstiltskin is just kind of weird. And he's not even, uh, the script doesn't even write him as like an old-timey, like, oh, I'll seek my fortune or whatever kind of thing. Like the, the leprechaun yeah. in uh, the leprechaun movies, he doesn't do anything like that. No. And thematically, I don't really think his works, it's only there to sort of add this fake drama at the end where O'Brien has to make a decision whether or not he wants to give Which up his weird too. family. And that feels totally pointless <laughs> because the aliens... That doesn't tie into anything because the aliens are not interested in that, and I don't know why they bring it up in the first place. Like there is no, there is no nefarious plotting against his family in that situation. Yeah, it's, it seems weird because initially, initially he's like it's like it's like Rumpelstiltskin is very self aware when they first introduce him. He's like, I'm not getting into the, I don't make deals like that anymore, and uh, and I kind of was like, okay, this might be different, but then it it ends up being he's just going to try to steal the kid again um it, it's so weird that's the direction they went with it i don't know it's and it's and the whole the whole pretense of him having to make a decision between saving his family or or getting this guy who doesn't know anything this fantasy character who is does, doesn't actually exist to help him like why would they i don't know what the aliens expect do they expect him to believe that it's real i don't exactly I th- they must think they're pretty stupid i guess it's the i think so. there, that. I- 
I think that they're I think that they're just really laying into the imagination that this character actually inhabits that storyline. But when the stakes are when the stakes are that the station is going to blow up and whether or not you buy into this imagination thing, I don't know. It, to me, it just doesn't feel like it fits into what the alien race is trying to learn from these people. Yeah. It, it, well, it, none of it does. It doesn't feel like their whole plot of making everyone's imagination come real just to study them feels like a thing that would have any. What are they getting out of that? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we're going right. to study imagination by making their imaginations real because your imagination is so fascinating. But, like, the idea of imagination is that it's not real. So by making yeah. those things real, you're not actually studying anything about actual imagination. You're just studying reactions to strange phenomena. And it, it's hard to to sort of wrap your head around the fact that an alien race doesn't have imagination, yet it can come up with oh, a yeah. plot like this. Like, how... how you you need imagination to come up with the idea of inhabiting their imaginations. You know right. I mean? Yeah. You thought this pl- plan up. Yeah. Give yourself some so, credit. Yeah. You have some imagination. Exactly. Yeah. Just give yourself some credits, guys. And I mean, Rumpelstiltskin ultimately doesn't tie into anything. We'll we'll break all that down in a little bit. But lastly, it's... Was buck- that actually... So my thought, too, is that they just manifest Keiko and the daughter there. Why would he even think that there's actually them there? Because we see two I think it was That's true. Was was it not? So them? why do, do they, you think they that also not... have super teleportation powers where it can make people teleport across the ship? But why wouldn't it just be a, a, a why is it actually Keiko and not just a imagination of Keiko? Sure. And I guess the episode never actually clarifies that. I, I walk no, away. They just thinking, walk off. <laughs> yeah, I, I, thought, I thought it was them. I thought they were gonna disappear, but they didn't, yeah. Um which leads us into I mean, Q. Q could do that. Q would teleport people around like that and do the exact same kind of thing as Ripple Stillskin would do, and right. it would actually you could trust that it was actually that person. But in the situation where you can see duplicates of a person sitting right ten feet away from you, well, there's no reason to believe that your daughter's in any danger. That your actual daughter's in any danger. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that leads us into the sort of middling person, which is Buck Bokai, who. Um, I'm giving more credit. It's a good name. It is a good name. Um, I mean, it's more, you know, it builds on the Cisco baseball thing. This is the episode where Cisco gets his baseball, uh, which is interesting. The baseball is going to go on to play a big role in the series, actually, uh, relatively, you know, for what it is being a baseball and all. But the, you know, the, the storyline the storyline felt better than it actually is, in my opinion. Like the, the scenes between them were pretty good. Cisco and Bakai were pretty good, but the actor is also pretty good too. Yeah, the actor is um he's the uh, Chang on Deadwood, I think. Um, yeah, and you know he he's pretty good. It's all solid. It's just it ultimately doesn't mean anything. It's very TNG and like oh we'll be back one day. We'll study you, and now we're gonna we're studying this, and you know we'll see you later. It just, we'll see in a year, he says. I don't, he says, we'll see you next year. I didn't know if it was like an actual, like, like say, hey, we're going to come back next season, or if it's like, uh, we'll get him next year in kind of a baseball kind of way. Yeah, I, I thought it was a baseball sense, because he he, okay. he drops a lot of baseball metaphors, which I appreciate. Like a ton of baseball metas- yeah. metaphors. <laughs> so I think it was just a see you next year would be like the see you next season. We'll get him next season kind of yep. thing, yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, what'd you think All about right. Buck Bokai? I, I thought it was fine. Uh, I just didn't think it was... He was fine, yeah. It, it was... It was, it was it was the goofiest thing. I just don't know. I just don't... Whatever reason, it just doesn't seem like baseball fits the timeline here at all. I mean, this guy... Why Why is Cisco so into baseball? 
I don't know. I don't get it. Like, just the yeah, just the the writers like I'm all. I mean, it make what I do like about the baseball thing here is that they do sort of anticipate the fact that baseball will die out at some point. And at this point in but the like American 200 leagues, years ago, apparently is what it says. Like in the, in the thing, like yeah, it would be like the late, gone for 200 years. It says, yeah, the, the, the late 20, 21st century, I think or something like that. But you know, if you're not an American, <laughs> um, baseball is probably one of the sports that uh, baseball is having the hardest time right now. So it kind of feels like yeah. prescient or something that it would actually be the sport that would be wiped out. But it would be like, if you were into like some ancient, form of lacrosse that's not played anymore you know that's what i true. mean like yeah. this yeah. is like 200 years ago that's so, true be like yeah. into boar hunting or something like it would just be yeah. like yeah if you're into really into bear baiting i don't know <laughs> badger baiting for our british friends yeah um yeah I, it's a good point we'll get more into the baseball stuff they have episodes themed around baseball but it's it's a good point that it's it's kind of similar to the music they listen to, right? They they listen to ancient music in this timeline because they're listening That's to like true. 21st century jazz and things or 20th century jazz and stuff. If you're Riker, yeah, it's true. They they refer to the, they they even in the uh, the reboot they refer to Beastie Boys as the classics. There you go. <laughs> so I can't expect too much, but I mean, on a you know on a plot level, I thought that this episode this episode is something I guess I would call like like a sick episode of star trek and that like you know when you're just sick like hung up with the flu or something you're just watching pointless <laughs> tv this feels like yeah. the kind of episode that would be on in the background and you wouldn't particularly care but having to having to sit and watch it it is it doesn't feel it doesn't hold my attention it, it just feels like background noise in a lot of you ways you can turn off your brain with watching this one for sure yeah yeah and i mean what would you think of the overall general plot did you did anything oh. sort of strike you from it no, it's it's not like we said. Like the 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 aliens' intention here doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. Um, so the plot itself, it doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't work. I guess like halfway through, I guess like Act Three, they reveal that the imagination creatures are all meeting with each other and discussing what their different reactions they've been getting have been. And yeah, so yeah. that was that was your, I guess our first clue that it's not just manifestations and it's it's i don't know it's a weird that it was driven a, by intelligence driven yeah, by intelligence exactly. instead of like a natural going on there it's like yeah i mean and deep space nine is all about people coming and going off the ship and it's just you know the story of the town staying behind and then so you always get to visitors coming in with their with their shenanigans and it's it's yeah. so you, you knew immediately at that point that was it i don't know it's it's not a great well-written thing the only the only really well-written stuff i guess is the actual character stuff with with buck Bukai and and three interactions and the julian and and jadzia uh fake jadzia interactions yeah those those things yeah. are the only really well-written things in it but i don't know the plot itself is not great yeah i think that the the character the episode itself kind of hangs on the character interactions between people yeah, because performances the, really yeah this is the the first you know anomaly that we've seen off the bow or with the whatever of the stern of the, the station or anything like that like the the just that lazy of a mechanic really strikes me as bad at this point and you know for all the the shit that i've talked about discovery discovery hasn't done that kind of a thing yet and i it's funny that yet. i don't know <laughs> i don't know if it would actually make me like discovery more in a weird way if they you know, what I thought Discovery would do would be a modernization of those old tropes. And so you'd have the anomalies, but there would be some sort of new spin on them in some way. 
and that show isn't really doing it. And but I also don't like going back to this older stuff and now where that feels like a TNG plot that could have been done okay in TNG, it feels really stupid here. I, I don't even know if this script would be good with TNG's cast and everything like that, but it, it certainly doesn't work here. I think it could be easily rewritten for a TNG and work fine. Yeah, probably. Would it have been a better but, episode than the Deep Space Nine episode? I guess would be the no, question. No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. I mean, I mean, but it wouldn't have been as noticeable, maybe, because this show. I feel like this show in general takes itself more serious than TNG does a lot of the time. Um, Interesting. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. Like, I guess I get. I guess I have a lot more. I guess there's a lot more plots, like because there's there's more more um, overall arc. I guess in this one, in compared to like TNG's first season, uh, there maybe that's why I feel like it takes itself more seriously because it actually has some story and overall narrative it's trying to get through. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this felt like they just needed to take a break and have a nice little like fun episode, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I, I and especially after progress and everything like that it's just it's kind of progress was a good episode this felt like a step back you know when you when you think that you're mm-hmm. getting to something you think that though the show's kind of figuring out it comes back with this kind of an episode and i know that the the pace of the production on these shows is too quick where you can't really go episode by episode and say oh this is where everything changed after a certain point but it's still a little bit disappointing but anyway i think that uh mm-hmm. we're going to play an audio clip me and Modi are going to come back. We're going to read patron thoughts, and then we'll give our final thoughts and ratings, and then we will wrap this one up. This imagination of yours is a tough concept for us to get a handle on, Ben. You're not simply a figment of my imagination, are you? We're on an extended mission exploring the galaxy. A while back, we followed one of your ships through that hole in space out there. We've been watching you, trying to figure out the rules of your game. Why didn't you just talk to us like this? Well, we've learned that you can never tell how someone will treat the visiting team. I understand. That's what this has been all about. Learning to understand. Was it really necessary to put the whole station in jeopardy? Oh, but we didn't, Ben. It was you. It was your imaginations that created everything. We were just watching to see where it took you. Ah, this imagination of yours. We have never seen anything like it. It's very real to all of you, but yet it's not. At first, it seemed to us to be a curse and irritation. That Odo fellow even called it a waste of time. I disagree with him. I knew you would. I learned that about you, that you could have such an affection for someone you never even met. All right, guys, so if you support the show at patreon.com slash the Penske file, it's a way to uh, support the show with uh, monetary stuff and you get extra podcasts out of it. But one of the other perks you get if you support us there is you get to leave feedback about upcoming episodes and then they get read on the podcast. So we'll start doing that now. Stephen Cobb says, if wishes were horses, I can't wait to get my very own Buck Bokai trading card. Do you think they still had trading cards at the time uh, Buck Bokai was playing? We, I don't think we have trading cards now. I don't know anyone who collects baseball trading cards anymore. I think that in the opinion of... I think they would exist in this universe, though. Yeah, I think they still have them. Okay. Because yeah, they, they were precious enough to know that baseball would die out eventually, but I think that they would still think that, oh, people are going to still do cards, maybe. Those will still be yeah, thing. People, <laughs> there's still going to be home run uh, chases and everything like that. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would love to get a Buck Bokai, get his big fat belly sticking out of a baseball card as this five foot three guy who's who apparently hits for power, according to himself, which is uh, remarkable. <laughs> he does not look like a guy who's hitting for power. Um Holly McLaughlin writes, 
I love this one. Bashir's humiliation, meeting a future baseball star, showing how ghastly the story of Rumpelstiltskin really is. Plus, I'm a sucker for sweetly realistic family moments like Chief O'Brien reading his little girl a bedtime story. It reminds me of the Royale in that it's ridiculously implausible, even by Star Trek standards, but I think it works and I enjoy it. Um, yeah. I tend to disagree with Holly yeah. a lot, a lot on a lot of on a lot of the opinions. The ones that she, <laughs> the ones that she likes, I don't tend to like. Although, I think I'm just moving away from the sort of goofball episodes that I would classify this one as. It's a, it's a sick deathbed sick episode, like I said before. Yeah, no, she's got some good points about the the the, the sweetness of the scene with with reading the the story and that stuff. It's it was, a good it scene. Was actually cute. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Scene. The, the, the kid's a good actor. It's a cute kid, and she's a pretty yeah. good actor oh, for a well, kid. She just mostly just sits there. But I mean, it was a very believable toddler for sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Just she knows the one line to repeat. Yeah. She knows his name, yep. and she's waiting for the Nailed story it. to get to the point where she can yell out Rumpelstiltskin. Um, Matthew Ross writes: If wishes were horses, I don't know. If my grandmother had wheels, she'd be a wagon. If we really like baseball, <laughs> we will always mention it. I don't know. It seems a bit silly. The casual way in which O'Brien calls for security. If it's in your house, you discovered a cat and the hat was really there. I bet you money you wouldn't just calmly go, ahem, security in my quarters. You're the chief of the entire station. You'd be screaming, red alert, intruder alert, security in my quarters. But maybe he's just not that concerned. What'd you think? You know, yeah, I, I made this exact same comment to my wife. It's like, if I saw Rumpelstiltskin standing next to my daughter, I would be like grabbing her, ripping her out of the room and coming back with this probably murdering him i would imagine i don't know if i would be able to i would come back with a fireplace poker or something like that and probably knock him out that's what would happen my, not just like security my, my quarters my favorite touch of that entire thing was when the rumpelstiltskin is walking through he's like looking through the o'brien stuff and throwing it on the floor o'brien is picking the yeah. stuff off the off the floor and putting, putting it back, back. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so stupid I guess it's just once you're in Starfleet, you get used to this weird shit that happens. You don't get terrified by seeing a misshapen I guess not. gnome in your daughter's bedroom. Um, The First Order is nothing but Snoke and Mirrors, which is an excellent name, says, If wishes were horses, this is the best version of a terrible kind of episode for what that's worth. The two Daxes give Terry Farrell a chance to define who Dax is a little better, and the rest is stupid but kind of fun. It gets retroactive <laughs> yep. points for later use of the magic baseball, which is the uh, Cisco's baseball. I like to think all Starfleet get to keep a conjured up memento or two. For instance, the red skirt from Shoreleave and Squire of Gothos, who are clearly keeping their new magical dresses even after getting back in uniform. It's true. It's weird that the um, the baseball exists in the universe now because I thought that everything was fictional with these guys. But apparently, as long as Cisco believes that baseball existed, he can hold on to that magical baseball. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. You think about that. It's true. Magic baseball, especially for all the, especially for all the uh, the holodeck talk. They thought it was all holodeck related at the first. There's a good yeah. five minutes where they're like, "He can't exist off the holodeck." Yeah, it's weird. At first, I thought it was going to go in a holodeck direction, but I thought that was a little too easy then too. Plus, it's everyone, it's just like, yeah, everyone can like touch them and for real. I don't know. It's just, they already did that kind of a lot in TNG, so yeah, yeah. too much probably. Already. Yes. Yeah, we didn't need another episode where it's revealed with 10 minutes left that they've been on the holodeck the entire time, right? That would Yeah, been. exactly. Kyle Barrett says, if wishes were horses, while, many, while for many, Move Along Home is their guilty pleasure of season one. Those people are sick, Kyle. Uh, anyway, if wishes were horses is mine. Chief O'Brien getting confused and then increasingly grumpy and an imaginary version of Rumpelstiltskin played by the arm from Twin Peaks is possibly the greatest thing ever committed to television. Sure, the whole thing reduces to techno babble in the final act, and Horny Bashir isn't the best, but the episode is so much fun. Seriously, though, the opening scene with Odo and Quark is fantastic and probably their best so far. I'd agree with that. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. They had a great scene. 
that's been kind of one of the just the running things of season one that's actually strong is the Odo and Quark relationship. Um, and they start so many episodes with that, it, it always leads it off on a good foot, I feel like. When yes. they open with the, with yeah, the for, Quark and Odo scene, it's awesome. For some reason, they can always talk about something that's thematically appropriate. Here they're talking about Odo's lack of imagination, um, which results in basically the yeah. Odo storyline, just him chasing around an emu, and then he imagines that he arrests Quark, which is apparently his greatest fantasy. <laughs> it's so stupid, but it's 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 so much fun, yeah. <laughs> it fits the character, right? It to, it totally exactly. makes sense. And he knows it's like he knows it's fake immediately, like so he's not like at all confused by it. Aside <laughs> from the stuff that he's been chasing around, and uh, he he believes it's real until it's not. But the fact that he figured out the imagination thing before anybody else did is something. I actually was more confused than Odo was by that scene. I, I thought that the Odo was trapped and the real Odo Quark he was talking to was a fictional version or something. It was more confusing than I thought, and it was really just a um a dumb joke that they wanted to wrap up his storyline with. Basically, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um. So how about you give this one? Thank you, patrons, for giving your thoughts. It's always uh, nice to get a little bit of feedback. Uh, Modi, what do you want to give this one for a rating on our 1 to 5 scale? Because it's so bad it's good uh it's a three for me oh, okay <laughs> so bad that it's good it's yeah. watchable and it's actually it's 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 for stupid as it is it's it's actually really fun to watch so yeah it's a three still yeah you're you're, you're the wild man with these ds9 ratings you're all over the place with yeah, uh all over the place <laughs> unpredictable wild card yeah you're just using your imagination i suppose the um yeah, that's all it is. i'm gonna give it a two because I don't think it's terrible. It's certainly not the worst episode of the season or anything like that. I, I, I wouldn't even call it a guilty pleasure. I just don't think it's particularly interesting, and I don't think it is. It's thoroughly average, but it's so average that I think it actually makes it worse in a lot of ways. And that would knock <laughs> it down to a two for me because I, 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 I don't feel that this is just as a, um, a blandly enjoyable episode. It's just sort of a blandly forgettable episode to me. So for me, it's it's so bad it's good, and for you, it's just not bad enough to be good. Right, yeah. I, I, okay, yeah, the, there the, it is. The character work was actually a little bit too... If all the character stuff was really trash, it would just be much worse or something like that, but I, I, it's hard to say. Let's see here. Let's see. I think that's it. Well, anyway, Modi's going to give it a three. I'm going to give this guy a two, and we'll be moving on. But anyway, thank you guys very much for supporting the show. Modi, thanks for coming on. Anytime. And uh, let's see here. You guys can check out the social media links. They're all in the video description below and everything like that. Facebook, Twitter, blah, blah, blah. You can go to patreon.com slash the Penske file if you want to support the show. You get extra podcasts. Uh, we're starting a new show because of the patron support. It'll be a film-based podcast. You can check that out on the Patreon. You can check it out on the YouTube channel, too. There should be a video up by now. And um, that's about it. Modi gives it a three. I give it a two. It is called If Wishes Were Horses. And we are going to be back in a couple days with what comes after this? The Forsaken. It's the uh, the Odo and Loxana Troy episode, I think. So anyway, guys, thank you very much, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>